Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Wow. Thank you for joining me this Tuesday, January 3rd. Man, oh man, today is one of those days where even the people who are not government geeks or political junkies should be and quite possibly also are riveted by what is happening. You heard at the top of the hour, Kevin McCarthy did not get elected speaker on the first vote that took place today. That was not unexpected. But what's happening now is kind of more chaotic even than we could have predicted. The second vote is taking place right now. And it looks like Unless uh, he gets somehow a bunch of Democratic votes, Kevin McCarthy has gone down again, yet again. <clears throat> it is. <laughs> it's, to, you know, it almost isn't even fair to call it chaotic. It's. It's absurd. It's like an absurdist play that is taking place before our very eyes It is just um, unbelievable. Some people, some of the pundits that I've been listening to on CNN are predicting that it's so chaotic. And this has been taking this vote to get a new speaker. And by the way, nothing else, literally nothing else happens in Congress until this vote elects somebody Speaker of the House. Um, A couple of the pundits have said maybe... Maybe the Freedom Caucus, you know, like had some evil genius plan at work where, you know, they would Kevin McCarthy went down to defeat on the first ballot. Jim Jordan got some votes. Andy Biggs got some votes. A couple other people got a vote here or there. Um, And now the second ballot, Kevin McCarthy again appears to be going down. But but this time around, rather than Andy Biggs or Jim Jordan, or, um, well, Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs, and a handful of others got votes before. This time around, all the votes that didn't go to Kevin McCarthy the first time, but went elsewhere, they're now all going to Jim Jordan. Which is interesting, because for this second round, guess who nominated Kevin McCarthy and voted for him? Jim Jordan. So is there some secret plot where Jim Jordan gets dragged kicking and screaming into being the next House Speaker? Or as somebody, um, one of the Republican pundits said, you know, maybe the Freedom Caucus, maybe there's a method to their madness. And what they're going to do is, you know, after this ballot concludes, which is taking place right now, but Kevin McCarthy's already gone down to defeat. After this one, maybe they're all going to come out and say, well, you know, Jim Jordan doesn't want it. Andy Biggs can't win it. We don't like Kevin McCarthy. So how about X? An X will be the candidate that they throw out. An X will be the candidate everybody gets behind. Who knows? All we know is that this is, this is, this is just crazy town. What we're seeing right now. Crazy town. So, um, like I said, 
uh, Kevin McCarthy went down to defeat the first time. Hakeem Jeffries got every Democratic vote in the House. Looks like he's on his way to getting every Democratic vote again. So what happens after this? Does Kevin McCarthy start texting Hakeem Jeffries and saying to him, you get me six Democratic votes and I promise you I will do X, Y and Z? Why not? He's making promises to everybody else. If it's the difference between being speaker and not being speaker, do you think it's a bridge too far for Kevin McCarthy to beg Hakeem Jeffries for six or seven votes? I don't. I don't. So. So. <laughs> I um This second time around. Jim Jordan gets up there and he's like, we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this. And I haven't always agreed with Kevin McCarthy, but I think he's the guy. I think he's the guy. I think he's the guy we can all get behind. I nominate him. And then later, when he had the opportunity, he voted for him. (laughs) But shortly after Jim Jordan sat down, Matt Gates got up. And I'm going to share with you the beauty that is the oratory and the passion of Matt Gates when he decided to get up and nominate Jim Jordan, who had just nominated Kevin McCarthy. You following me here? You got your bingo card? Listen to what Matt Gates had to say. Well, sometimes we have to do jobs that we don't really want to do. And sometimes we have to do jobs that we are called to do. And so, my colleagues, I rise to nominate the most talented, hardest working member of the Republican conference who just gave a speech with more vision than we have ever heard from the alternative, I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today humble to a fault, maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. Maybe Jim Jordan is the right person for Speaker of the House because he is not beholden to the lobbyists and special interests who have corrupted this place and corrupted this nation under the leadership of both Republicans and Democrats. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person for Speaker of the House because he wouldn't fight us when we try to get a term limits bill on the floor. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person because he wouldn't fight us when we try to put a balanced budget on the floor and vote for it. And maybe Jim Jordan is the right person because he would endorse the plan that was built by the Texas delegation to finally secure our border. Mr. Jordan said in his nomination that there are certain bills that we have to pass to fix the problem. The challenge is, the alternative has been someone voting for the very bills that have caused these problems. Mr. Jordan says that we cannot accept legislation like the omnibus, and I fully agree, and if Jim Jordan were Speaker of the House, if he were the leader of the Republican team, we wouldn't have that circumstance choking the economy of our country, increasing inflation, and diminishing the prospects of a better life for our fellow Americans. And finally, Mr. Jordan said we must engage in rigorous oversight. Every one of my Republican colleagues knows that the person who can lead that oversight effort, who works on it every day, who has the skill and the talent and the will is Jim Jordan. I'm nominating him and I'm voting for him.
So just here, let me bottom line this for you. What you just heard in Matt Gates' speech nominating Jim Jordan to be the next speaker, Matt Gates said that we should all vote for Jim Jordan because he doesn't want the job, because he does not want to be speaker. That is one of the reasons why we should vote for him to be speaker. Point number two. We should not vote for Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy gives us everything we ask for. Kevin McCarthy gives us everything we ask for, accedes to all of our demands. Therefore, we should not vote for him. You following along here? You got it? Is Jim Jordan... Really this devious that he would, you know, do this shy, shrinking, violet thing simply so that he could be a reluctant speaker. I mean, he's Jim Jordan has made no bones about the fact that he wants to lead the Judiciary Committee or some he wants or some other committee of equal importance. But he has never, ever said he wanted to be speaker. So, there you have it. That's what's going on today. The people that Kevin McCarthy has been desperately trying to woo with all kinds of promises, committee assignments, blah, 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 they're now saying no to him. Because what kind of a speaker gives us everything we want? I mean, seriously? Jim Jordan, he doesn't want the job. Oh, yeah, then he's the perfect candidate. Let's vote for him. Uh, Okay, this is going to go on, folks, for a while. Maybe at some point, if it seems like it's worthwhile, we'll dip into some of these speeches. We'll either turn some of it around or 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 dip into it and and see you know what's going on. Of course, once there is a vote, assuming that there is a vote for speaker, remember the first vote Congress takes is to elect a speaker. The second vote Congress takes is to agree to the rules under which they will operate. This is also one of the things that Kevin McCarthy has been giving in on. He has been saying that he would be okay with rules of operation that give individual Congress people a lot of power to do things and make things happen on their own without having to get any kind of majority or consensus. So the speaker has to be elected. Then the rules vote takes place. I don't know what's going to happen. I believed before today that Kevin McCarthy would absolutely go down on the first ballot because I think the far right wanted to teach him a lesson. They wanted to remind him that they could derail anything that he's after. But I thought that that would kind of almost be a pro forma protest We're not going to give it to you on the first ballot because we want you to know we have power, but we'll give it to you on the second ballot. And and so we can just get started and move on. 
I don't know if that's what's going to happen. <clears throat> Interesting. You know, you just, this is like the, the crazy days of Chicago City Council when people are just acting really weird in a politically strange and, God help me, amusing way. I know, I know it's not good for the country, but the Republican Party had a chance. When Donald Trump faced his second impeachment, if the if the Republicans in the Senate had stiffened their spines and ousted him, then maybe, maybe they would have taken the mega pain then and they'd be past it now. But man, oh man, they are reaping what they have sown. We need to take a break. We are going to continue to keep an eye on this as we progress through our day to day. Holy moly. We'll be right back after this. The candidates have filed, and Chicagoans will vote to determine who will be the mayor of the city of Chicago. Have you made up your mind? WCPT wants to help you decide. Join us Thursday, January 26th at noon as Joan Esposito, Santita Jackson, and Patty Vasquez moderate the WCPT Chicago Mayoral Candidates Forum. You'll hear directly from the candidates about the direction they want to lead the city for the next four years right here on WCPT. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. It's kind of like watching a couple of cars crash in slow motion. You, you, you can't really stop it, but you can't look away. The vote to try to elect the next Speaker of the House. Um, well, we're getting ready at some point for the third vote. In the first two votes, Hakeem Jeffries got every Democrat to 12 both times. And Kevin McCarthy got the same number, 203 Republicans both times. Sadly, though, he needs 218. This time around, the difference was that the votes for Jim Jordan, a handful of others, and Andy Biggs, those votes all went to Jim Jordan. So Hakeem Jeffries got 212, Kevin McCarthy got 203, and Jim Jordan got 19 votes. Not enough to win, but enough to keep Kevin McCarthy from winning, even though Jim Jordan nominated him and voted for him. It is, uh, it's going to be an interesting afternoon. We're going to keep an eye on things. Let's go to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Jim. Hi, Joan. This is a thing of beauty, as the huh. Irish would say. Yes. Uh, it, 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 it's it's uh, another seamless uh, exercise in our democracy. And they're going to get some embarrassing candidate eventually. But the thing that's stuck in my mind is how can they revisit COVID and the origins of COVID and the poor doctors and nurses and people who were killed on the front line and uh, are just, I, I'd like to protect our American doctors and nurses and so on and have a rational discussion. This is, it's absurd. In fact, some friend called me today said that the right wing was saying that this football player was, uh, he's dying as a result of, or he's sick as a result of a vaccination. I don't know how true that is, but 
I don't no. He got whapped in the chest and a really strong, no matter how healthy you are, if you get hit really hard in just the right spot of your chest, you can stop your heart. It's like the opposite of CPR, you know, because um, uh, the heart is you can disrupt the electrical conductivity of the heart and it'll stop eating. And then if you're really if you're really um, bright on the spot and can intervene right away, if you hit somebody really hard in the chest, you can sometimes restart their heart. So, yeah, no. But, you know, I played first base and, and <laughs> I did, for real hard and I couldn't see the ball and it ball hit me in the chest. Oh. But I, I often think of it, you know, I was only about 12 years old, but I often think because I know that people die of that. If it hits at a precise mm-hmm. moment during the beat, you can die. But I just uh, I'm delighted with this. It's like a sadistic person. It's so ridiculous. But Jordan would be just uh, he would be the biggest embarrassment, I think, in the history of the United States as a speaker. But anyway, Joe, thanks for taking my call. Have Thank you. you. I appreciate the call, Jim. Let's go back to the phone line. Steve's calling in from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, what a day, huh? Yeah, what a day. Uh, Historic day. And, you know, nothing like this in our lifetime in the last century. Uh, You know, uh, the 2022 election is the gift that keeps on giving. It is. (laughs) I mean, you know, not only do we pick up a seat in the Senate, the margin of victory for Republicans was much, much more narrow in the House than what they had hoped. And on top of that, now they're sitting around, uh, you know, who knows how long we're going to be at this, trying to figure out who's going to be their speaker, which is only going to further divide the party going forward over the next couple of years, because this is just not uh, for people who don't understand uh, how things work in D.C. Yes, Republicans and Democrats go at it with each other, but there's a lot of intra-party fighting and rivalry. And uh, this kind of thing is not going to help that for Republicans who need to consolidate their party if they want to move beyond 2018, what happened in 2020, what happened in 2022. This is not the way to change your party. Uh, So, you know, uh, again, this is the gift that keeps on giving for Democrats, but we have to capitalize on that. This is this is a moment where, you know, perhaps there's a a door, an opening with uh, with regard to some moderates who were elected from districts in, in, in terms of the House who, who voted for Joe Biden, who, can, who can, you can come to and say, you know what, this is what we'd like to put on the floor. This is what we'd like to put on the floor. These are the kind of things that all Americans uh, support, educational reform, health care reform, things across the board, environmental mm-hmm. issues. And, and, and you're from a district where people support this, 60 70 percent, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, again, we can peel away enough of these people, especially given the, the disunited nature of the Republican Party at this point. So it's into, I, at some point I thought all right, we, we had two years to get something done that we wanted to get done. And then the, the next two years, we probably weren't going to get much done because historically the party in power loses seats. But I'm not entirely convinced of that. If we, again, if we can peel away some reasonable human beings in the Republican Party who want to get reelected. Exactly. It's that's the bottom line. Yeah, that that they're sane people. I still believe there are some sane people in the Republican Party. And if we can get them to vote with us on some of these things, other people will vote uh, them back in the office because they're Republicans and they believe in some of the things that Republicans believe in. So, again, I think that there is a middle ground and I'm glad that America is sort of rediscovering it. Uh, it, It's it's dangerous (laughs) to me when uh, when the fringes are in control. Uh, so I'm, Well, yeah, and even in the speech he, he made nominating Kevin McCarthy, I mean, Jim Jordan as much as said, you know, we're going to pass, 
we're, when we're in charge, we're going to pass a lot of bills. And if they don't get through the Senate and Jill Biden doesn't sign them, well, that's going to be on them. So he's much as much as said they're going to they're just going to do a bunch of far right legislation that they all know has no chance of ever being really put into effect. But they're going to they're going to do all this stuff so that they can go back to their voters and say, well, we tried. Yeah, we tried. Yeah, exactly. And our hope is that that there are seven, eight, nine, ten of them that we can talk to and say, you know what? Okay, this is going to come up for a vote. If you guys are just reasonable human beings and, you know, given with the districts you come from, you know, don't vote this way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there are a number of ways you can vote when you're in Congress. You don't even have to vote. You can you can you can abstain. You don't mm-hmm. have to show up. You just don't need to show up for a vote. There's all sorts of things. You don't have to vote with Democrats. You well, even in the vote for vote Speaker, if some of the people like Matt Gates, who've said they would never vote for Kevin McCarthy, if enough pressure is brought to bear and they don't want to embarrass themselves, all they have to do is either leave the chambers or vote present, and they're they're taken out of the mix. Exactly. No. So, like I said, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room for us. We may be actually, we may be able to get something done in the next couple of years before 2024. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have a, a uh, I don't have a magic eye into the future. I, this is simply what I'm hoping will happen. Yeah, Steve, thank you so much for the call. I'm going to try to get one more call in before break. Uh, George is calling from the South Side. Don't have a lot of time left, George, but I wanted to make sure I got you on the air. Okay, very quickly. Happy New Year to you. And you your... too. Uh, secondly, I don't remember the guy's name. It was Pat something. It was the FBI chief after Hoover and Richard Nixon and the Republicans let him dangle slowly, slowly in the wind. Do you remember that? Um, no, vaguely. Yeah, this is what's happening to McCarthy right now. And quite honestly, I'm enjoying every bit of it. Schadenfreude. <laughs> healthy every once in a while. And he, um, I forget the name of the guy who's regularly on MSNBC, the former Florida Republican congressman. He's been saying for weeks, McCarthy will not be speaker. And I think really last last thing, when you talked about getting hit in the chest and it's stopping your heart. I remember reading this about the great heavyweight champ, Rocky Marciano, who was 49 and 0 in his career. So that was one of the keys to his long success was that he had a devastating punch to the heart. And he oh. literally stopped the heart of his opponents, and they would just fall down in the ring and be counted out. Now, he didn't kill anybody, thank goodness. But, yeah, that blows. I played some football in high school, and I saw some guys get badly hurt, but nothing like last night. Yeah, it was uh, it, it just it was just terrifying. And frankly, we're really lucky that injuries like that don't happen more often with as hard as um, as those people get hit in that game. You know, it isn't just the concussions that are a problem. Anyway, we got to get to a break. George, thank you so much for the call. Uh, we are going to take a break. What we're going to do is we're going to go on with a lot of our regular guests today. But we are definitely right now. Uh, Congress is in a potty break. I don't know how long this is going to take. But trust me, we will keep you updated on what is going on and whether or not or when or who the next speaker is. Let's take a break now and get started right after this. Listen to the Tom Hartman Radio Program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are going to keep an eye on what's going on in the House of Representatives. Uh, There have been two votes 
for Speaker of the House. Hakeem Jeffries got every Democratic vote. That brought him to 212. Kevin McCarthy, both times around, got 203 votes. And the first time around, there was a miscellaneous crew for some other votes. This third, this second time around, Jim Jordan got 19 votes. It takes 218 votes unless some of them decide to go home, sit it out, or vote present. Nobody's got that amount yet. They are currently on a little break. We will uh, see where it goes and when the next, I'm sure right now, <laughs> deals are being made fast and furious. We will keep an eye on this and uh, let you know what happens when it happens. But for right now, we are going to do one of our regular segments here at WCPT. We call it Unions Strong. A lot of the unions uh, that do great work have um, decided to come together and be a part of WCPT so that they can let people know, you know, for a long time, unions sometimes they got a bad rap, you know, of, of outrageous demands when basically unions want people to have good retirement, good working conditions, safe working conditions, and a, and a decent salary that you can raise a family on. And, um, that is the message that we want people to know and understand. To that end, today's Union Strong segment uh, is uh, brought to us by Gary Menzel, President and Business Manager at Roofers and Waterproofers Local. Gary, so nice to talk to you again. Great, great to talk to you this year. Happy New Year, Joan. Um, Happy New Year, Gary. Yes, thank you very much. I look forward to doing the show again with you this year. Uh, spreading the union message and uh, letting people know um, what it takes to be union strong. Yeah. And now that we have passed the Workers' Rights Amendment and written into the Illinois state constitution um, the fact that people have the right to organize for better pay and safer working conditions, now that that has become the law of the land, how do you see that playing out over the next year or over the next several years? Well, one thing is there's a lot of anti-worker politicians that um, every year, and Governor Rauner was one of the biggest, you know, a few years back uh, when when he was trying his uh, right-to-work um, crap in Illinois and his um, anti-worker policies. So, so there will be more. It will continue. So this this legislation is is definitely going to put a halt on their efforts to really try and and turn Illinois to a right to work state because uh, as we both know and many other people do also you know uh, Iowa's right to work Indiana's right to work Michigan you know Kentucky I mean we're surrounded Indiana we're we're surrounded by right to work states. So, you know, I believe that that business believes Illinois should be. There's like 27 right to work states in in the United States, you know, and I know business believes Illinois should be one. But this is a pro union state. The workers are pro union. And what what really gets me is these anti worker politicians come in every legislative session, you know, each each new general assembly and there's these ones that just think that they can change the status quo and, and tell the workers that, hey, we don't really mean that much. You know, it's all about businesses and tax breaks for the rich. And um we're here to let them know that this this 
legislation, this workers' rights amendment, you know, that's been put into the state constitution is going to prohibit these anti-worker politicians from trying to go to right-to-work status for uh, Illinois. I think that it's about time we started tooting the horn for unions and all the good that they do. Maybe, maybe if we can show how well it works in Illinois and that, you know, it doesn't cramp anybody's style, it doesn't decrease anybody's profits, maybe we can start to spread the word to some of those other states. Our neighbor to the north, Wisconsin, I think, is it would be a great place to start to try to make them um, see that promoting unions doesn't necessarily mean that a state is anti-business. Um, you know, as a, as, as with the workers' rights amendment, um, it, we, you know, there are certain unions that already exist, but what does the workers' rights amendment mean, do you think, Gary, for those who work in a particular place that isn't unionized? What, what can they, what can they do with this amendment to help themselves? Well, I mean, this will, uh, transcend into all different types of industries, uh, factory workers, um, you know, your local coffee shops, the Starbucks, you know, listening to, to the promo right before the show started, you heard stuff about, you know, Starbucks trying to bust the union efforts, you know, in different mm-hmm. states over the years, you know, so, uh, there are a lot of corporations, you know, and this goes back to, you know, the uh, McCormick Reaper days and um, Haymarket and, and, and Pullman strike, you know, you know, the owners have been trying to push the worker down, cut their wages, you know, make them pay, you know, parts of, of uh, Pullman was on high rent and, and, and lowered the wages on everybody. People can't afford stuff. You're getting to the point where, where people are like, I can't, you know, we see the prices of everything nowadays. People are like, I can't afford this stuff. I need my wages to increase. Illinois just started $13 minimum wage in the state. The city of Chicago, I believe, is already 15 and by 25 we'll be 15 We're still underpaid for the minimum wage workers. So these workers that are working in, you know, like, let's say, hair salons, um, let's say, you know, factories that, you know, just make plastics or uh, any type of materials and stuff, these people actually have an opportunity to form, join, and assist unions in organizing and collectively bargain with their employer over <clears throat> safer work conditions, good pay, promotions, you know, uh, mm-hmm. increases in their wage and all that stuff. So this will transcend into all of the, um, you know, industries and, and job duties that, that many of these businesses have for workers. There's an opportunity here for many workers to, and we also know that there is going to be union busting tactics. You know, one thing that, that the Biden administration has done and, and their Department of Labor, they've come down a little stronger on these union busting techniques. I just recently, you know, talked at one of the events we went to with Arise Chicago and um, the Secretary of... Um, Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. The uh, Department of the National Labor Relations Board attorney was there, 
uh, Jennifer Abruzzo, and she was talking about, you know, uh, making these union-busting corporations, if they try to stall elections of that, making them actually go go back and pay them from the day that they, instead of negotiating and trying to stall tactics, if there's back pay, you know, after the uh, hearing and after the lawsuits and all that, there's back pay, making them pay from the beginning back there forward, this may get some of these corporations uh, to understand that, hey, you can fight it or you can try to uh, just negotiate with your people, make them happy, and we move forward from there. Yeah. Uh, Gary, we need to take a break. I'm speaking with Gary Menzel, who is the president and business manager at Roofers and Waterproofers Local. We've been talking about the workers' rights amendment and what it means for people. Um, but one of the things that is also going to be happening for unions in 2023 You know, with the Biden infrastructure package and the Build Back Better package, there's going to be a lot of work. We're going to talk to Gary about opportunities along those lines when we come right back after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa! You feel that right away. It's just refreshing. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. This is our WCPT union-sponsored segment we call Union Strong. We interview various members of prominent Chicago and Illinois unions. Gary Menzel joins me today, president business manager at Roofers and Waterproofers Local. We've been talking ever since uh, the bill was first suggested suggested about what uh, allocating federal money for infrastructure and in the uh, the infrastructure package, the Build Back Better package, the belief that a lot of that money was going to be creating new opportunities for workers. Is that happening, Gary? And uh, has it peaked yet? No, it's actually just getting underway. Um, the states are looking at the money that's going to be coming in. Um, I was talking with um, an electrician the other day, and they're talking about you know, the country's getting ready to go to electric cars, and they were talking about all the electric, you know, facility stations that are going to be built around the country, you know, on the byways, you know, at, at parking garages and shopping malls. They're going to be everywhere. It's going to be a huge endeavor just putting electric, you know, hookup everywhere for people that are starting to buy electric cars. And I believe most of the, uh, the bigger auto makers by 2030 or 35 are going all electric. So eventually, you know, will be, and, and there's still going to be people with the gasoline engine stuff, but the newer cars are all going to be electric and there's going to be, they're going to be everywhere. So that is all going to be done by, by contractors that have approved apprenticeship programs with the DOL and, not just electricians. I mean, you're talking, you know, the PLAs with the chip factories, the battery factories for these cars. I mean, this isn't just here in Illinois. Illinois is supposed to get 
believe it's about 16 or 17 billion over the next 10 years to, to do this work and improve our infrastructure, our, you know, our grid and, and all the other, you know, necessities that, you know, society needs to grow. But in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, they've got huge projects coming up and they're talking about roofers um, around the country coming there to perform this work. These buildings are going to be huge. And some of them are saying we need 400 roofers. And some of the locals in, in those, those states, they don't have 400 workers or smaller locals. They don't have 400 wor- workers in the local, you know. So, so there will be opportunity for new people, men, women, minorities, to come in and, and, and actually start a new career in the construction trades, whether they take roofing, plumbing, electrical work, you know, iron workers, you know, whatever they decide to do, there is going to be a huge opportunity over the next 10 years for, um, you know, people that are looking to get into the trades. And I was recently talking to uh, one of our business agents and, and he saw something that another trade was doing where they're putting QR codes up to let people know that, Hey, there's opportunity here for you. Scan your QR code, call the local, call the trade, call the apprenticeship, you know, and if you're interested, find out more information about it, put your name on the list, get in, or if you have experience, you know, you can start at a little higher level than just a brand new apprentice who knows nothing about the craft. So there's going to be a huge opportunity for uh, men, women um, to uh, start a career. If somebody is listening to us, and um, they're intrigued by what you're saying. What is the best way to become an apprentice, Gary? Well, you know, I mean, apprenticeship goes hand in foot with your experience, too, because some people may have um, been dabbling in, in the trade, whether it's, you know, plumbing, construction, you know, laborers, roofing, whatever. So let's just say, you know, the guy's done a little bit of roofing and he's only done some shingle work, you know, doing some residential mm-hmm. houses and stuff. He has an opportunity to call our apprenticeship, you know, get in touch with us over the internet, chicagoroofing.com, and, or he can go to, you know, local 11, you know, roofing.com, you know, and talk to us and we can, we can refer him back there. But he has the opportunity to let us know that, hey, I've got some experience like to get in the trade a little bit, learn a little bit more. Well, we give them a little credit. There's a lot of times if you got one or two years um, experience in the industry, we don't start you out as a brand new guy. We bump you up to maybe a first year or second year guy. So your pay increases a little bit. You're starting to um, you know, earn pension credits, healthcare credits. And um, it's a great opportunity for a lot of people to, uh, With experience, if you have no experience, you can still come to the trade, start brand new, and then you also get, you know, you know, the brand new, you know, learning, going to classes, um, educate yourself on on how the systems are put down and and what you have to do. We talk to them a lot about what's expected out of being a roofer. You know, in roofing, you have to get up early, you have to show up on time. It's a work your day. And we also work in, in, in weather conditions, you know, where it could be, you know, somewhat 
cold one day, you know, sometimes it's hot, you know, in the summertime, you know, but most of the time you know, it's a beautiful day, you know, uh, March through June and then September through November, the, the, the days are nice, but there's a little bit of time where you could be working the weather. If you don't like working outside, you might not want to be a roofer, but a lot of the construction <laughs> trades have work outside. So if you have no experience whatsoever, still contact us, you know, you know, get in touch with the apprenticeship, you know, local 11 roofing, you know, dot com or else call Chicago roofing dot com. Go on the Internet. You know, our numbers are 708-345-0970 for the roofers union, 708-246-4488 for the apprenticeship. You can call us. You can go on, on the website, you know, and get in touch with us. Let you know if, if you're interested in doing roofing work, there's we have opportunities in Madison, Wisconsin, Janesville right now. We have opportunities in Chicago, Ottawa, LaSalle, Peru. So uh, we have a vast area that we're trying to fill positions for over the next year or so. I know that you've already said that a lot of the work is outside. And, of course, you know, when you're talking trade union work, you're talking physical work. But sometimes I think that women and sometimes also um, minority populations feel that they may not be welcome. Address that, Gary. You know what? I, I, I do believe that that's kind of one of the older uh, myths and not that it was a myth back in the day because I believe a lot of people couldn't get to the trades 20, 30 years ago. Um, I asked a lot of people that, you know, have kind of said that to me that, oh, it's hard to get in. And a lot of the people that were in the Rippers Union, I asked them, hey, was it hard to get in? A lot of them were like, no, I just came down and signed up. Um, the myth was, you know, decades ago, it was it was hard to get into the trades. Um, mm-hmm. Women women weren't coming into the trades back, you know, 20, 30 years ago. There was a small handful coming into the trades, but there's a great need for women in the industry right now. Um, a lot of these contracts have participation agreements for minorities, whether they're, you know, African-American, Hispanic, women. So there's a lot of government work going to be happening, and there is going to be a lot of, um, you know, opportunity for women, minorities, minority women, all to get involved and get into the trade. And, I mean, I think it's just a great opportunity for these women to, um, if they want to work outside with roofing, but, again, there's also electrical work, plumbing. There's a lot of trades to choose from. Um, and the opportunity is vast for all of us right now. You just have to make that decision. Is this what I want to do? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think there's, I mean, there, there was that, that, that time where it was hard for a lot of them to get in. I think it's changed quite a bit because, you know, the contractors need people, the union provides people. We're all looking to, to make sure that our contractors have people, you know, that, that can do the job and want to perform the work for them. And then there's also, I I get calls from contractors say, I need a woman for this project. Do you have one? A lot of times we don't have them available. We're looking for them. Some may be on our list for our apprenticeship list. We go to our list and call the lady up. Hey, would you like to you know start work? Going to send in this contractor. You're going to work here. So it's it, it's changed a little bit. It's not as hard as they all think anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I know you mentioned this before, but I think it's worth repeating that under Biden's plan, a lot of the companies that are doing these kinds of contracts and getting these federal monies, they've got to have an approved apprentice program, um, uh, an apprentice program appro- approved by the Department of Labor. I think that's worth stressing, Gary. No, that is correct. Um, you know, Biden, you know, in his infinite wisdom, you know, says, you know, and he's been the, probably the most pro-union president I've ever seen in my time. And then in the history of presidents, you know, uh, he's probably right up there with FDR and stuff. So that's, that's a huge success for uh, President Biden. But, uh, yes, you know, they're saying right now that, you know, and the ABC, the Associated Builders con- Contractors, those guys are are crying about it, saying that uh, you know we we have an apprenticeship program. You know, like well, maybe they do, but is it approved? And do they graduate um, apprentices? You know, those questions all exist at times for them. But we have documented proof that our people go to school, they actually have classes, they get trained, and Every one of them leaves with a certificate that says they've done four or five years of training. The Roofers Union is five years, and this is what these PLAs, these project labor agreements with the government for this work under this infrastructure bill says that, you know, uh, contractors must be involved in uh, apprenticeship training programs because, again, we're trying to and I understand what the government's doing. They're trying to get people good-paying jobs, fair wage, safety, pension, health care, instead of saying, here's a job, you can do it. You're only getting a low wage, no health care, no, no uh, pension. Why, why spend millions and trillions of dollars on that when, uh, you know, we can you know, feed a nation and build a nation here you know, workforce-wise, you know, why, why do it the other way? You know, that's, that's the wrong way. That's what they did back in the 1890s and stuff, in mm-hmm. the 1880s. We don't want to go back that way. Absolutely not. Uh, Gary, one question um, that I've gotten before. If somebody perhaps has a juvenile criminal record, you know, they did something when they were a teenager does that disqualify them from trying to get into an apprentice program, or does it depend on the infraction? Uh, I don't think it's a juvenile. It, 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 you know, most juvenile records are sealed, and it does not, um, I mean, let's, let's face it, if it's murder or something like that, you might not be able to get in. But again, um, I don't know that your juvenile record is going to be a big detriment to a union. Now, a contractor who may do a background check may have an issue with some of that, you know, and you cannot work on certain projects. We've had that pop up with us. You know, the union, we don't really do background checks. You know, we take people in. We understand that they they want to change their life, get a job, do a job, show up at work. Now, a contractor may have a job at a school, you know, and there's a possibility that there's a background check to be on that school. Mm -hmm. Certain people may have done some things in their uh, juvenile uh, life that may um, keep them from working on that school. 
But a contractor, if he likes the guy, may say, I'm attention to this job or that job. But it could uh, hinder you on meeting uh, um, on certain projects. That, 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 that's a possibility. Yeah. Well, I am so excited about all the federal money that's available to do a lot of this building and rebuilding. And I think we are coming into what potentially could be a real golden age again for unions and the union worker. And, Gary, I'm so pleased that you join us here on WCPT to talk about all of this stuff and all of the opportunities with us. Thank you for being here. Uh, My pleasure, Joan. Again, Happy New Year. Uh, I'm looking forward to us all having a great year, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, everybody stays union strong and understands the possibilities and what is, is out there for them, and they all join a union. Amen to that. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Gary. Um, we are going to uh, take a break for news. I want to give you a quick update. Uh, the Congress is still on their bathroom break uh, soon at well, soon-ish. They will be uh, organizing for their third vote to try to elect a House Speaker. Nobody has uh, come away with the 218 votes needed. Hakeem Jeffries got all the Dem votes at 212. Kevin McCarthy seems locked into 203. In the last round, Jim Jordan got the random 19 votes left. Uh, They're still on a break. We're going to keep you um, apprised of what's going on. But let's take a break for news right now. Remember when you get to work to hop over to WCPT820.com or the TuneIn Radio app and stream The Stephanie Miller Show weekdays 8 to 11 a.m. on Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. A WCPT 820. Okay, well, here's how things stand. The House of Representatives is getting ready for uh, the third vote for Speaker of the House. Republican Steve Scalise is uh, at the microphone nominating Kevin McCarthy yet again. And I'm sure there will be a Democrat nominating Hakeem Jeffries yet again. And who knows who else will receive a nomination? We will keep an eye on things and uh, let you know how this is shaking out. I want to switch gears a second. You know, when we had that Arctic cold a few weeks ago, We had on somebody from the night ministry talking about what they were going to be doing to help those who are unhoused, those who live without shelter, how they were going to help those people get through the really cold temperatures. But there is a much larger issue. Frankly, I think it's it's potentially going to be a big issue in the mayoral race coming up this February 28th. And uh, maybe we'll ask our candidates some questions about how to house people, how to keep housing affordable. When we have our mayoral forum on January 26th, that's going to be at noon. We're going to carry it live here on WCPT. It's a huge issue, not only in Chicago, but for cities across the country. Some of them seem to be handling it better than others. One of the organizations that thinks about this issue of getting people housed 
in a real kind of big picture way is the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. Doug Schenkelberg from the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless joins us now. Um, he's the executive director there. And Doug, thank you so much for being here. Hope you had a great holiday. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you did as well. Thank you. I actually had a very quiet and yet very nice holiday. It was it was lovely. But you certainly appreciate having a warm, cozy house. You know, when the temperatures with the wind chills start getting into those negative, you know, digits and you can't help wondering what life is like for those people who really, really struggle to acquire to stay in housing, to be able to afford their homes and their rents. And I know the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless really works on this issue a lot. In 2023, what are some of the things that you would love to see happen? So, one, thanks a lot for having me on, and thanks for talking about this. Uh, This issue is a really critical issue that our city and throughout the country um, have been facing for decades. Uh, you know, when we look at 2023 and what we as an organization would like to see is rather than what we typically do, which is uh, scurry to respond to crises like the uh, deathly cold we experienced around mm-hmm. Christmas, um, that we uh, use times outside of those crisis points to focus on long-term strategic investments that create the permanent housing and the supports that people who are experiencing homelessness need so that when the next crisis rolls around, there's fewer people experiencing homelessness to begin with. That's how we solve homelessness. is not through an emergency response in you know, really unsafe weather, but proactive planning and funding that creates the housing that people need. And so we'd really love to see in 2023 that type of commitment and investment done uh, by the city of Chicago. What What is one specific plan that the city of Chicago could fund or create or implement that would help? So we've been working with uh, partner organizations for a couple of years now on a campaign called Bring Chicago Home. Uh, that campaign is focused on creating a dedicated revenue stream for building affordable housing and creating social supports for people experiencing homelessness um, and creating funding at scale. Through that campaign, we're focusing on changing the real estate transfer tax, which is a tax that's paid when people buy or sell properties, be it homes, be it buildings, commercial buildings, um, Right now, that's a flat tax, meaning that regardless of the percentage or regardless of the price of the property, folks are paying the same percentage. Um, uh, so it's, whether it's a $10,000 building or a $100 million building, they're paying the same per- percentage uh, for the tax rate. What we're proposing is to increase the tax rate for properties that are valued over a million dollars and use the new revenue that's generated by the higher uh, tax rate for those uh, expensive luxury properties to dedicate funding to addressing homelessness. So our estimate is if we were to do that um, based on historical records of uh, trans- real estate transactions in the city, it would generate an estimated $130 million in new revenue 
as of the fiscal year, um, which would have a substantial impact on the number of people experiencing homelessness in the city of Chicago. Well, Doug, this measure that you're talking about uh, was in the city council. It came up during a city council meeting. And because certain council members decided to walk out, either not be there at all for that part of the meeting or walk out into the hallway and not get counted, there was no quorum. And the undertone of all this was that there wasn't a quorum because this wasn't necessarily something that the mayor was ready to sign off on. So how do you make this happen with that kind of resistance? Yeah, no, it's, it was really frustrating. You know, uh, a lot of folks have been working on this for a long time. There are a lot of amazing allies in the city council who have been working on this. And so back in November when we had tried to have quorum and came up one shy to hold a hearing that was necessary for the uh, measure to move forward, um, it was really frustrating. Um, and it felt like politics as usual. Um, you know, we have a history in Chicago of, uh, um, of things using political maneuvers to stop um, really important issues from moving forward. And this is uh, no exception to that. Um, you know, we're an, as an organization, we are a nonpartisan organization. Uh, we don't engage in electoral politics. Uh, there is an election coming up and there's converse, you know, all 50 uh, aldermanic seats uh, are up for election as is the mayoral office. Um, and uh, it's going to be a conversation in that election. Um, our hope is that candidates who are running for office uh, commit to supporting uh, the Bring Chicago Home campaign, um, and that will create an opportunity for us to move forward uh, in, in the coming year. Well, some of what I'm about to say is fact, and some of it is shall I say, speculation on my part. But, you know, early on in her tenure as mayor, uh, Lori Lightfoot wanted to uh, raise the real estate transfer tax in a way similar to what you're talking about. Um, I don't it wasn't necessarily dedicated for uh, housing people. I think she had a, a selection of things in mind and supposedly, you know, um, she got a lot of pushback, particularly from the kind of wealthy, high-dollar donors who would be affected by this. And she, after talking about it, she backed away from it. And the thinking was that if she backed away from it once because she didn't want to rock the boat, why would she not back away from it over and over again, no matter who's bringing it forward or what they want to spend the money on? How do you, I mean, it, it seems like, how do you fight City Hall on this one? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, we as an organization, we're a community organizing organization. We work and partner with folks who are experiencing homelessness, who have experienced homelessness, who know this issue personally, and who are the loudest advocates for the Bring Chicago Home campaign. Um, and, you know, we believe that power can come through in a lot of different places. Obviously, the mayor has a certain amount of power and comes from a certain specific spot. But we also believe in the power of people and their voices. And um, we believe through organizing and engaging the public uh, in this conversation, we can change minds. Um, like you said, you know, uh, candidate Lightfoot um, in her initial run for mayor um, was a supporter of the real estate transfer tax. She um, uh, had in her campaign platform to use the funding to 
address housing needs in Chicago. That changed. You know, I don't know what conversations happened that shifted her position, um, but it changed. Um, uh, and, you know, we're going to continue to advocate to get whether you know, uh, she's in office um, after this election or someone else is in office after this election. You know, our position doesn't change. So we're going to keep pushing on this issue and um, moving people to make the right vote and to take the right action. And I think we can. Um, this isn't an easy task. Um, it's, uh, we knew it was going to take time and effort. Um, and we know that, you know, because of the process that's required for creating this new revenue stream that requires a question to be put on the ballot for Chicago voters to vote on and say that they uh, are open to this new tax happening. Um, we know we're going to get, uh, if we get the question on the ballot, we're going to get a lot of pushback from folks who make money off of real estate transactions and they're going to try to kill it. And so we're going to work really hard to uh, make sure that uh, their money doesn't, um, overpower uh, the message of the people. Uh, Doug, we need to take a real quick break. I want to talk to you when we come back about some of the things that have been tried in other communities, things like the idea of, you know, taking vacant land and creating affordable housing or maybe even building tiny houses. I want to talk about the solutions that you've seen to try to address the, the problem of people who are without housing and what you think should be done here. I'm talking to Doug Schenkelberg, who's the executive director at the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. We are going to continue this discussion. And just FYI, currently the members of Congress are in the process of taking their third vote to see if they can elect a House speaker. We'll keep an eye on that and bring you all the news right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. This is WCPT820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT820. Doug Schenkelberg is the executive director at the Chicago for Coalition for the Homeless. I know, Doug, that you look to see what other communities are doing, what works, what doesn't work, what's the most cost-effective and humane way to deal with some of these problems. I've seen people, like, there's already an experiment about building tiny houses, uh, talking about different ways to make housing more affordable, different ways of trying to give people opportunities to stay in their homes when suddenly the area they live becomes hot and desirable and the property taxes start going up and the people who can't afford them end up selling them their homes to the people who can afford this kind of thing. Of all the things that all the different ideas you've looked at and studied, what do you think is the most effective? So one of the really good things about addressing the issue of homelessness is that we know how to solve it. This isn't a mystery. Uh, fundamentally, it's about housing. It's about affordable housing. Uh, if people can access affordable housing, they stay out of homelessness, which sounds you know, kind of basic, but it's the reality. Um, and there's a model that is called housing first that we and other folks in this field um, uh, point to that's been 
tested, proven, studied to show that it's a really effective model for keeping people out of homelessness. And basically the idea is when someone's experiencing homelessness, the first primary thing you do is get them into permanent housing without conditions. You don't make conditions about their health. You don't make conditions about their mental health. You don't make conditions about their um, uh, use of substances. Um, the recon- recognizing that all of those issues that they're dealing with are much easier to address when someone is permanently housed as opposed to in the shelter system or doubled up or on the street. So you get them into housing first, and then you provide them the supports that they need to address the issues in their lives. And it's going to be different for different people, right? So it could be chronic health issues. It could be mental health issues. It could be job training, um, meeting them where they're at to provide the supports that they need all the time, them being secure housing, they don't have to worry about losing. Uh, so using that model, and that model can um, appear in a lot of different housing types, right? So it can be new construction, multifamily uh, buildings. It can be a tiny homes um, type of setup on empty land uh, somewhere in the city. It could be rehab of existing uh, units. So there's a lot of different physical manifestations of that model that can be used. I mean, to, the other point you made about the other side of the equation, you know, on the one hand, it's getting people out of homelessness. On the other hand, it's keeping people from moving into homelessness, right? So what are the prevention techniques we can use that keep people from sliding into a place um, where they're no longer have secure housing? So, you know, in areas of gentrification, it's a huge issue where property taxes are going up, where rents are going up. Um, you know, I know there's been amazing advocates in the city of Chicago working to bring rent control back to the city to try to create some stabilization in communities. Um, that can be one uh, solution that could be put in place. Um, there's other tools that have been used. You know, I know they've been put um, tools around flipping homes, um, uh, policies in place around the 606, the trail that was built uh, mm-hmm. through Humboldt Park as a way to try to suppress the, the rise in property values. So there's different tools that can really be used to help try to keep people in place. And there's programs like the Homelessness Prevention Fund that um, uh, runs out of the uh, state of Illinois that can provide short-term rental subsidies to keep people housed when they're in a crisis situation so that when that big medical bill hits or when um, some other life tragedy hits, they can be stabilized for the short time that uh, they need and stay housed in the housing that they're in. So is is the answer, well, I know the answer is a little bit about everything that you just said, but <clears throat> would you like to see the city of Chicago reclaim vacant properties or take over via eminent domain or however, abandoned properties and <clears throat> build, say, apartment buildings on those or build, you know, I keep reading about, you know, these tiny houses where you can build like eight of them on a lot and and house, you know, uh, eight different uh, either people or extremely small families. Um, would I remember, you know, when my kids were in high school, we did a tour of Cuba and I said to our guide, you know, I'm really surprised because um, Cuba is clearly not a country that's rolling in wealth. I said, I haven't seen any homeless people. I haven't seen any people living on the street. And our guide looked at me and she said, if, if you don't have a house, the government gives you one. Like, duh, 
you know, and I thought to myself, and I was kind of embarrassed. You know, here we come from this incredibly wealthy country, uh, but we seem incapable of making that happen. And you said something that I think is really important in this whole discussion, because I've seen lots of different ideas for, you know, how to get people mental health treatment or a treatment for addiction. But if you really want people to stop living under bridges, then you really have to just say, Here's a shelter, here's a a house, here's an apartment, and, you know, not drinking, not using drugs, taking your bipolar medicine isn't a requirement for living in this shelter. I think that is a huge crux of it. So many people, you know, they want to fix you know, they want to fix what's going on. And she, you always hear the anecdotes about somebody who was a CEO and lost their job and got divorced and ends up under a bridge. But let's face it, most of the people um, who I've run into, there are they have complications in their lives that go beyond just losing a job and getting divorced. And the fact that you want to make this program wide open non-judgmental. I think that's the crux of getting it done, Doug. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the thing is, like, a lot of times people try to frame the issue of homelessness as people making a series of bad choices. And that's the wrong frame. The frame that we should be using is talking about, you know, at the end of the day, systemic racism. And the fact that we have a series of systems in the U.S. that categorically deny people opportunity, be it living wage work, be it permanent housing, and to their, it's not about whether or not they've made a poor choice, it's about whether or not systems allow them to succeed. And so when we frame the issue and look at the issue from that lens, the solutions become much more different. And that's when we look at housing that is based on simple need and putting people in housing without conditions and then providing the supports that they need to be in there. Um, you know, we could have a long conversation about the commodification of housing in the United States and that when you create, when housing is based on uh, a market and um, rising values, you're always going to have people left out of the equation. And that's folks who are experiencing homelessness. So the more social supports we can put in place that create housing that is not dependent upon someone having wealth, um, that's when we're going to get to a solution to homelessness. I know that um, Alder Maria Haddon has been a big proponent of getting something done on this issue. Who else are the um, politicians that you are finding success working with? So, as you said, Alderman Haddon has been uh, an amazing a leader on this issue, as has uh, Alderman uh, Matt Martin, um, uh, has been working very closely with her. Um, uh, uh, all the members of um, uh, the Democratic Socialist Caucus within the city council have been uh, great supporters uh, of this initiative. Anyway, and we had um, when the the ordinance, the British Chicago Home Ordinance was being debated in November, we had 20 co-sponsors on it. Um, So it's not as though it's just a small handful of Mm -hmm. city council members that are rallying behind it. It's a a broad swath of city council members uh, that are behind it, but there's, you know, bigger political issues at play that make it harder to get beyond that threshold. 
So do you see breaking through that threshold, getting either one more for a quorum or uh, six more sponsors to get the bill pushed through? Yeah, I, I think uh, definitely it's uh, um, it's we have the ability to do it. Um, you know, uh, as you already noted, um, we discussed this election is going to play in to um, where we go next. Um, you know, we'll see who um, makes it through both on the city council level and mayoral level and what the dynamics are at that point. Um, you know, we have record number of aldermen uh, stepping away from city council uh, this year. Uh, so um, there's a lot of open seats, um, which means there's going to be a lot of churn. Um, and so we'll, like many others, we'll analyze um, uh, who gets elected and where we go um, from there. But I think there's building momentum. One of the things we saw coming out of that meeting in November where we didn't get quorum was an outpouring of folks who were incredibly frustrated that this is how city government functions or doesn't function. Um, And that is aiming so much about whether or not they support the Bring Chicago Home campaign. It's about um, uh, being able to use bureaucratic tools and people able to just walk away from a meeting to keep things from moving forward and having a robust discussion about it. Um, so I think there's a lot of folks that want to see change, and I think, you know, in time we're going to win. Um, we really are out of time, but, but Doug, for people who live in a neighborhood where there are unhoused folks, what can they do to help beyond calling 311? What, you know, do they go over and talk to them and see what they need? Do they leave them alone? What would you suggest? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, as you mentioned, 301 is a great tool, um, the city's line, helpline. Um, but uh, aside from that, going and talking to folks, seeing what they need. You know, what I always encourage folks to do if they're so inclined is to have that conversation, to not assume what folks might need who are living in an encampment. Um, uh, you, know, you know, it may be that they've already gotten an abundance of blankets or coats um, because other folks have been generous already. So finding out what the needs are, um, how you can help, potentially partnering with an organization. You mentioned the Night Ministry um, is a great organization that does outreach, seeing how you can partner with them and the outreach that they do or other great organizations that do similar work. Um, uh, But, you know, don't be afraid to go uh, talk with folks um, and, People are in different places, and their ability to give and support varies based on their life situation. Um, but a lot of folks are experiencing homelessness. They just appreciate people noticing them and being willing to be there for them and help them. So treat them with the dignity and respect you would want to be treated with if you're in that situation. Doug, thank you so much. It is um, such an important issue and one I know that we're going to revisit. Thank you, uh, Doug Schenklingberg is uh, the executive director of the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. Thank you for being here, um, and thank you for answering all my questions. We are going to take a break. We are going to be back with more right after this. At WCPT, you can text us at the same number you use to call us, 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupagani, celebrating 15 years of growing kinder, smarter, and happier kids. Give the child in your life a summer of empowerment, challenge, and fun. Camp space fills up fast. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com, and let's keep those texts coming. 773-763-9278. 
Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. Need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820. The members of Congress are in the midst of their third third vote for House Speaker, but it looks like there is going to be a fourth. Um, Jim Jordan already has 12 votes, which is certainly enough to keep the speakership away from Kevin McCarthy, assuming that no Democrats cross the aisle and Hakeem Jeffries gets their 212 votes. So um, Kevin McCarthy is saying pretty emphatically that he's in it for the long haul. He's going to hang in there. He expects sooner or later the vote's going to go his way. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if that happens or if the support for Kevin McCarthy uh, waffles in the face of just getting this thing done one way or the other. So we will um, we will keep you up to date. Looks like uh, <laughs> it looks like this is going to be a long day on Capitol Hill. So we are going to continue with our, our regular schedule. Those of you who had to travel, particularly by air, over the holidays, I am so sorry you had to do that. I am so sorry you had to live through that. Uh, it was difficult for everybody, but it was a nightmare if you were on Southwest. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but we decided we would go to somebody with expertise in travel. Joe Brancatelli is uh, the founder of a newsletter called Joe Sent Me. It is designed to keep business travelers apprised of what is going on in the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And who better to let us know why things went so terribly wrong the ho- over the holiday season. Joe, welcome back. I hope you personally had a nice holiday and didn't have to fly anywhere. The pros never travel when the when the infrequent flyers travel, Joan. But also, I dabble in politics, and it should be noted that McCarthy has lost a vote so far. Yep. He's had one switch in the third three, ballot. Yep. Three, so, three votes. Three votes. Yeah. So, and, uh, oh, really yeah. Three now? Okay. So these, these, the third these vote. congressmen, these, right, but he's lost one, one so far, Donald's of, uh, Florida has switched from him to Jim Jordan. And I I have a sneaking suspicion these guys and women will be sitting in the House uh, for as long as a lot of Southwest Flyers sat at airports uh, <laughs> over the holidays with no idea of what's going to happen, when there'll be an answer or when anything will be fixed. You know, I um, I saw a post on Facebook. I don't know if you saw this. A guy who said that he was a pilot for Southwest for 35 years, and um, he did this really long post. I was going to send it to you, but it, I, the only way I could do it was like screenshotting it, and it was like six pages long. The bottom line is this guy who's said he's been a pilot for over 35 years for Southwest. He said the previous CEO um, was basically a bean counter, and that during the previous CEO's tenure, that uh, Gary Kelly was the previous CEO, that during his tenure, 
like maintenance was put off, software updates and hardware updates were put off to, in the guise of saving money. Oh, we don't need to do this every six months. We'll do it every eight months or every 12 months. And look how much money we'll save. And this pilot says, Larry Lanero is his name, that those people involved in operations kept trying to push up the food chain that things were starting to break down and that, you know, sooner or later the system was just going to collapse. But those complaints apparently fell on deaf ears. And then a year or two ago, they got a new CEO who does understand operations, again, according to this pilot, Bob Jordan, and who's been trying to fix the problems, but, you know, over a decade's worth of problems don't get fixed right away. Hence the breakdown of their computer system, their pilot assigning system, everything seemed to go to hell in a handbasket over the holidays. Does that ring true to you? Do you think that's what happened to Southwest? It is certainly part of the problem. And, Joan, as we often tell young reporters covering the travel business, when a plane crashes, and let's not try to hex things, there's never one reason. When an airline crashes, as Southwest did, there's never one reason. Southwest has an airline system. They go from point to point rather than hub in a place like Chicago, although Southwest has a hub at Midway or a hub-like operation at Midway. Um, When you go point to point, hopscotch across the country, if you get a nationwide storm, as we got, that will collapse your network, whereas Southwest, whereas American and United could retreat to hubs in other parts of the country. Southwest has no ability to do that because they're serving markets from point A to point B without that stop at point C in the hub. Certainly, they've underinvested in technology that they needed to keep the, the customer service system. You couldn't get them on the phone. Their, from time to time, their uh, their website and their app went down. The crew scheduling system totally collapsed. Um, and part of that is because they are not the same airline that they were 15 years ago. 15 years ago, the airline at Midway was ATA, if anybody remembers that name. Well, Southwest bought them. They have an operation in Atlanta that until a decade ago was called AirTran. So Southwest got very big by some measures. They're the largest domestic airline in the country. They carry more passengers. They have more domestic flights. But they have a computer system for both internal use and customer use that was built for an airline that would be much smaller. I've heard some people speculate that Southwest won't be able to survive this and will end up going out of business. Do you think that's true, Joe? No, they are financially the most solid airline. If I had a, if I had to say one of two airlines would would not survive 2023, for example, it's much more clear that an airline like American Airlines, which is loaded with debt, would not survive 2023 and a major financial downturn. Southwest has some problems, but they are financially solid. Um, they don't rely on a lot of things the other airlines do for revenue. So on the list of things that Southwest faces in the next year, and boy, do they have a laundry list of things to face, I don't think financial collapse or, or uh, you know, otherwise not being able to function is on that list. They're pretty solid, which is not to say, Joan, 
when we look at the first and second quarter, last quarter of this year of 2022 and the first quarter of 2023, that their losses might not be humongous. I mean, I've done some back of the envelope math and it probably cost them half a billion dollars just in lost revenue, just wow. by having the, just by having the, the 20, 15,000 cancellations they had, those people got all their money back. That could be $400 million or $450 million. They could spend $250 million just to put people's luggage back together again. You know, Southwest promises, unlike any other airline, that they will allow you to check two bags for free. Well, that means a lot of the people flying Southwest checked a lot more luggage than you do if you fly American or United. When the luggage needs to now be reunited with customers and it's still strewn all over the country, it has to be trucked. They have to get outside truckers. They have to hire staff to handle that. That could easily be a quarter of a billion dollars. It could be another quarter of a billion dollars just to reimburse people for their hotel nights and their alternate flights and the rental cars they may have rented or the food. And Southwest has to pay this out not because they are legally required to, but they they know the government is watching. So even without working hard, I see a billion dollars between lost revenue and guaranteed cost. That doesn't count the cost of what they'll have to do to fix things, the fines they may be paying, the the legal fine, the legal fees they face, and a possible payout if they lose a class action suit. So they have some financial challenges, but nothing I think that would sink the airline. You said there were multiple reasons for what went wrong. So does that mean it was just a perfect storm of events coalescing and Southwest passengers don't have to worry about something like that happening again? No, we uh, yes, it was a perfect storm for Southwest, which is why Southwest performed so much more poorly than everyone else. Southwest had to actually stop flying planes because they couldn't find the crews. They didn't know where the planes were. So rather than continue the risk of telling people to come to the airport, your flight may be delayed, they just literally started canceling flights on a proactive basis. The other airlines didn't have to do that. So for the last week when they had the terrible, really terrible week after Christmas, that was all them planning to cancel the flights because they had no choice but to do that to get back on schedule. But Southwest had a similar meltdown about a year ago. So while I don't expect another nationwide storm that affects 48 of the 50 50 states, um, Southwest could melt down technologically again at almost any time. But in fairness, so could every airline. No airline is well done enough. Uh, Joe Bracatelli does a business traveler newsletter called Joe Sent Me. You can find out more at joesentme.com. We have lots more to talk about, and we will continue right after a break. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, well that was an extremely short break. We are, we are back now. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that, Andy. We could have just skipped that sucker and just continued talking to Joe. Um, but we have him back now. Joe, I could do traffic I, if you want. I mean, <laughs> thanks. We hey, it's WCPT, Joe. You better be careful what you volunteer for here. We will take you no, up on let me that. Yes, there are delays on the Dan Ryan. 
going to O'Hare. <laughs> Delays everywhere this time of day. Um, I, well, how is Pete Buttigieg doing as Secretary of Transportation? I've started um, reading things that say, you know, oh, he needs to be um, more involved and he needs to start um, issuing some regulations that would penalize airlines for doing some of the things that are making people crazy. What do you think about his performance? Well, let me let me say this for, for starters. No one has ever leapfrogged from Secretary of Transportation to President. And we know Mayor Pete, now Secretary Pete, really would like to be president. Um, the guy who was Secretary of Transit in the U.K., Grant Shapps, ran for uh, Conservative Party leader. He got one vote, um, this la- one of the last rounds. So let's say the path to uh, the path to presidency doesn't normally run through the Transportation Department. That said, Buttigieg has done a terrible job. Okay, really? and you're talking to a Democrat saying that. When let's go back to the, the COVID meltdown in March of 2020. Now that obviously did not happen with Pete Buttigieg as Secretary of Transportation. But when it came time to make the airlines pay after we gave them tens of billions of dollars uh, for the fact that they were slow to refund people's money, and many people still have not gotten their refunds for flights that airlines canceled, okay, Buttigieg has the right to find these airlines. He find Air Canada, he find El Al, he find British Airways, he fly, he, he find Flyspec Frontier Airlines, but he has not find American, United, Delta, Southwest, Alaska, JetBlue. Those guys have all skipped out, and nothing has been done. Um, Buttigieg has an opportunity here. There are things, and this will be in a column Thursday if people want to surf. I don't like plugging Joe Sammy, but if you come well, to go Joe ahead. Thursday, well, if you come to Joe Sammy on Thursday night, I'll have a column on how to avoid this. One of the first things Buttigieg could do is demand that the airlines interline, which means that when your when your airline is not running right, you buy tickets on other airlines for your customers. Most of the major airlines, American, United, Delta, have those deals. The lower fare carriers or the lower cost carriers tend not to do that because it's expensive. As Secretary of Transportation, he can require that. Okay? He could also require airports to have a plan where if, you know, baggage is bound up or people are stuck at the airport, you have a plan for this. Do you have cuts? Do you have a 24-7 pharmacy open for people who stupidly check their required medicine in their check bags? Uh, there was a story that ran just today um, about Buffalo Airport, the major supplier of food services at Buffalo Airport, a company called Delaware North, closed all their restaurants except for one so that they could make sure that they could gather up all the food they had available to feed the people stuck at Buffalo Airport uh, for four or five days. That was private industry doing that, and we're not used to private industry taking care of people. There's no reason why the government should not, under Buttigieg, force things like this so that people who are milling around airports know there's a blanket and a cot that they can sleep on if they're stuck overnight. Then the Federal Aviation Administration could do things. It could fiddle with what they call duty time rules 
there's a, a limit to the, each month how much a flight attendant or a pilot can fly. There's also an annual duty limit. And obviously at the I think Ray's crash. son ran into that. I was telling you that Ray's son was supposed to, on December 26th, fly back to L.A. on United. And they got bumped a couple of, so they said, we can't do it, you know, come back in a couple of days. And then they were told, nope, can't do it again, come back in a couple of days. And one of the times that they were supposed to fly out, all of a sudden the the pilot hit their, they hit their wall and they couldn't fly. Right. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean they couldn't physically fly. Right. The rules, the rules say what the rules say. The FAA could say things like, okay, you're supposed to have 50 flight attendants, five, one flight attendant for every 50 passengers. In a crisis situation, the FAA could say, okay, you can go with two. That could get some flights out. The FAA could also say, look, you operate, all airlines in the United States, whether they're domestic or foreign, operate under a certificate of authority issued by the government. The government, because, you know, the flying is safe. It's safer than getting on the Dan Ryan, for example. It's safer than getting into your bathtub, in fact, if you have a bathtub anymore. Um, the government does a good job of regulating safety. They clearly do a very less good job of regulating back-of-the-house issues like, are your crew scheduling matters in order? Do you have a customer service system that guarantees that people can reach you in a crisis situation? The FAA can say, look, we will now begin not only regulating, but inspecting that. So there are a half a dozen things the government can do to, I can't say guarantee that what happened over this terrible Christmas season won't happen again, but that would very much limit the damage or eliminate the problem. Joe, if, all, you know, if, you, Thanksgiving. if you are aware of this and can see what needs to happen, one would think, one would hope that the Secretary of Transportation would have, if not people on their staff saying these things, at least, you know, maybe um, a travel industry lobbyist saying, I, my, I'm very being very long winded as to ask you why some of these really obvious things aren't aren't happening, especially as you and I both speculate. Pete Buttigieg is a guy who really would like to continue on in political life. I mean, even the thing about I never it never occurred to me, but making sure that every at least every large airport has a 24 hour pharmacy. I mean, that's it's so obvious when you say it. Why isn't any of this stuff being being put into place? Well, I think part of it is because we are in a period where government regulation is looked is frowned upon. We have <laughs> the reason we don't have a Speaker of the House, yet, Joan, <laughs> is because the people who believe in nihilism and they're they're not a they're not anti-establishment. They're not it's they're not anti-swamp. They just don't want to do anything. Right. If you're Matt Gates. You want to go on Fox News or Newsmax or OAN and spout off. You don't actually want to run a government. There aren't enough people who actually believe in governing and regulating for the commonwealth and the common good that can push this through. Specific to Secretary Pete, let's call him that. Okay. I never have seen a situation where a guy with ambition 
And the guy with knowledge, we all know he's the mayor of Sioux Falls and isn't that cute. Small town mayor, you know, makes national headlines. Um, this is a guy who is a major player at a major consulting firm before he became went into politics. He knows how to do things. Okay? He's had this opportunity. We've had the airline system co- virtually collapse because of COVID. And remember, it's not, it's only three years ago, just 85,000 people flew on one day, April 14th, 2020. Okay, the airline system was on the verge of collapse because no one was flying because of COVID. He mismanaged that while he's put out, you know, some very political talk letters. He hasn't moved, didn't move when people were stuck at airports in the last two weeks. The moment was there. I don't want to say it was a Churchill moment for Secretary Pete, but it's He's had two good shots at it that could have really raised his profile for the future. And he's whiffed on both of them so far. I, I, you know, as as we start looking at candidates in the future for the Democrats, he he's come up fairly small from a place where there was virtually no risk. Everybody hates the airlines. Mm-hmm. Who would he be offending except the airlines? You know, and he's done nothing. I mean, there's no excuse for it. There's no explanation. There's no rationale for it. He has not moved with the kind of alacrity you would have expected by, to a democratically appointed um, Secretary of Transportation. This is not Elaine Chow, you know, Mitch McConnell's wife, who was the Secretary of Transportation before him. And if you didn't know that, that's who was. Mitch McConnell's wife was Trump's Secretary of Transportation. She did nothing. That's not, that shouldn't surprise you. As, as certainly someone on this radio station. Um, a Democrat running the, sec- the Transportation Department doing nothing, that is legitimately a surprise. And a disappointment. And a disappointment. I mean, I, I can't imagine a scenario, let's say Biden doesn't run in 2024, that there'll be a Democratic Party debate and someone will say, well, you are a terrible Secretary of Transportation. You didn't do things you should have done, but that would be the judgment from a, from a pro. I like to think, I don't want to say I'm a pro, but I've covered this for a long time. Obama's transportation administration was very activist and got the tarmac hold rule mm-hmm. regulation through that said you can't stick people on the tarmac for four hours and hold them hostage. And those things have virtually disappeared. The secretary of transportation has a lot of regulatory power. And we should be in better shape than we are in these last couple of weeks. There's no question about it. And there's no justification or rationale for why it hasn't happened. Joe, before I let you go, for those people who are listening to us who are thinking of planning some travel, um, is there a particular airline or airlines that you would recommend at this moment in time? Listen, I, I believe that every airline could melt down at any moment. I mean, it is. I'm no, I'm, no, I'm no fan of the airlines and how they run them, both as a business and as a customer service operation. Um, there are a lot, It's a very complicated thing. It is rocket science. Running an airline is rocket science. Um, but that said, you have to fly somebody. Um, I think Alaska Airlines runs fairly well. Um, Southwest was an airline you would say ran fairly well. Hmm. Um, you know, it had decent on time. People were happy with 
the way things worked. Well, how's that working out? Now Southwest is going to figure out how to get customers back. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what you expect. You know what you get from American and United in Chicago. It's not great. Delta out of Atlanta is not any better. Um, these are systems, you know, everything from lack of pilots to an antiquated air traffic control system that's terribly overburdened. Um, you know, we have not, in, or Amtrak, forget the airlines for the moment, the state of Amtrak. Um, you know, we should have, a, we shouldn't have European style railroads, but we should have a better railroad system than we do. This is decades of underinvestment and, uh, you know, lack of interest by the privately owned companies that run it. So my long-winded, that's a long-winded way of saying every flight's a crapshoot, have a plan (laughs) B and a plan C. Well... I personally, I, I think I'm going to buy a private rail car and attach it to a bunch of different trains and travel the rest of my life uh, that way in my own my own little private home on wheels. What do you say? We want to join me? Um, I don't know how how much money uh, radio personalities on on local and progressive radio stations earn, but I I know running a website about travel doesn't pay that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm in the same boat. So maybe we'll just both uh, read about it and and speculate, or maybe we can rent one for a week. That that maybe might be in our budget. Joe, thank you That's so much. Fun. It is a delight to talk to you as always. Uh, I hope you are doing well, and I look forward to talking to you again in twenty twenty three. Looking forward to it, and looking forward to the fourth round of voting for speaker. Yes, coming up uh, on a television screen near you somewhere soon. Joe Brancatelli. The newsletter is Joe Sent Me. The website, joesentme.com. Look it up. We are going to take a break for news and be back with David Hochberg right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, Kevin McCarthy uh, lost again. We've now had three votes in the House of Representatives to try to elect the new speaker. Uh, Jim Jordan got 20 votes this time around. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries still got every Democratic vote. I don't understand why Kevin McCarthy doesn't make a deal with him since he's willing to pretty much sell anything to anybody to get their vote. But um, I'm glad I don't have any plans for tonight because I have a feeling this is going to go deep into the evening. They are on another break right now as they gird their loins for a fourth vote. You know, none of the business of Congress can take place until there is a speaker. Yeah. So uh, get the popcorn out, kids. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting night. When I last spoke with our good friend David Hochberg, in the very last seconds, he started talking about a program that uh, his group was going to be offering people, and it was really important, and we didn't have time to explain it or get into it. So I wanted him to come back as quickly as possible in the new year because I really thought that this was good information that you and your family need to have. And uh, Mr. Hochberg has graciously decided to join us today. David, how are you? How was your holiday? Outstanding. How was yours? Happy New Year. Um, thank you. Um, mine was quiet. 
Um, we did a few things, but uh, Ray and I also uh, got COVID again, so uh, we spent um, we spent some quiet time. Some of our more ambitious plans got canceled, but that's okay. We were we were yeah. cured by Christmas and able to spend that time with family. So, eh. and you know, New Year's Eve. You know, I've never really been. Do you like make a big deal out of New Year's Eve? Are you yeah. one of those people that always like goes out to dinner and goes to a party and dances the night away? No, I used to when I was young and dumb, but I got a, my chances of getting killed by a drunken driver drops drastically when I'm sitting in my living room watching TV. So I go with the odds. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I used to go to, you know, I would, when I was younger and dumber and, uh, used to run with my friends and the boys and we used to go out to two, three in the morning. I'm just like, I'm too old for this crap. I just turned 56 and I'm, I, I'm good on my couch in front of my TV. Plus my wife, Came down with COVID on uh, on New Year's Eve, so yeah, Happy New Year to me. So it was great. <laughs> She's upstairs, I'm downstairs. It's great, awesome. So uh, yeah, whatever. Starting the New well, Year, bang here, and uh, yeah. Yeah, when I was young and New Year's Eve might have been wild and fun, I was always working. For some reason, I always worked on New Year's Eve, and then you know, by the time I wasn't obligated to be working anymore. I was kind of past all the young, fun parties and such, so it's never been a big uh, holiday for me. And and I I agree with you. You you have um, uh, you have much less chance of something going awry if you stay in the comfort of your own home on the comfort of your own couch. And you know the cocktails are a lot less expensive. Yeah, and they're and you don't have to wait in line to get them, especially yes. when he's making them. You just snap your finger and he runs. So it's uh, and you don't have to wait in line to use the bathroom either. True, true that, and you know it's clean. <laughs> so see, all, all the all the uh, all the benefits of staying home for for New Year's are just multiplying, and the and the um, and the uh, the whole hotel industry will be sending you emails telling us to both to be quiet and uh, yeah. Well, they know I'm an old fart. They expect it from me. Um, I wanted to talk to you, you uh, like in the last seconds when we were on last time, you started talking about this program and I was like, oh, my God, you know, that's that's great. That's something that needs to be uh, talked about in greater detail that people need to know about. So I'm I'm so sorry we we ran out of time. So explain it to the listeners now, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Basically, what we came up with um, September, August, September last year, we came up with an affinity program, which isn't anything new to the mortgage industry. All the big boys have them uh, at the guaranteed rates and, and the wind trust and, and, and all the all the gigantic companies have them. And they offer discounts for employees of the companies that of the employees of the companies that they're affiliated with discounts if they use their services when they secure a mortgage. So we came out with something similar, um, but we went one step further on the purchase side, right? Yes, we're, uh, we're working with uh, every single company. You know, they, tar- uh, they target Fortune 500 companies because they don't want to deal with the uh, smaller companies. We do any type of company out there. We have an affinity program that that's free of charge to any corporation out there, any company out there that offers discounts on closing costs to all your employees going into the new year, an added benefit through HR. If you want to offer it, give me a call. You um, could save $1,700 um, when you when your employee refinances through our team and gets the same low rates. We went one step further 
and went on the purchase side, right? All of these all these larger lenders that we compete with every day offer discounts if you use their services. If you purchase a home, and a step further, and so do we, right? If you're if you're a company, well, we went one step further and incorporated a realtor on the buy side and a realtor on the sell side that will give you a discount of up to one percent of their commission. If you use their services, you have to work with one of our realtors, obviously, that, that we're affiliated with. And if you use our real estate attorney that, that we'll refer you to on the sales side here in Illinois, they'll offer you up to a $500 discount on your title because title is very expensive here in Illinois. And if you use him on the buy, if you're buying in Illinois, they'll offer up to a $100 discount on the services. So we offer this through corporations, right, companies, uh, big, small, medium companies. But what we're doing is I made the decision at the end of last year. It, it took, it took, it took a lot longer than I thought to get it off the ground. I thought it'd be a huge hit. It's been a hit for, for the companies that have launched it. It just hasn't reached the levels that I wanted to. So I'm just like, I'm making an executive decision and I'm just blowing it out to everybody that wants to come to us on the purchase side. If you want to come to us on the purchase side and you're buying or selling a home, Okay, buying or selling a home, and you use a realtor that we refer you to, that realtor will give you up to a 1% credit on their commission when, you, when they sell the home. If you use that same realtor or a different realtor that we introduce you to, helps you buy a home, that realtor for the, sur- uh, for the volume that we'll be giving them, will be giving the buyer up to a 1% credit on from their commission that they could use, the buyer can use for closing cost credit. So I'll give you a perfect example. We had a um, a, a, a young lady um, who worked at the Buffalo Grove Police Department sell her home with one of our realtors, used our attorney, bought a home with one with, with the same realtor that's affiliated with this program, with associated with this program. So the the total savings of this young lady and her fiance was close to $9,000. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? And that the, that could be the equivalent of somebody's down payment to buy a home. So it doesn't cost anything to participate. We're offering this through the month of April. So I'm launching it for the first quarter of the month. Okay, of quarter of the month. Quarter, quarter of, of the year. January, February, March, April. So through the month of April, anybody that calls our offices, works with one of our realtors that we introduce you to, that realtor, we have already got agreements with them. We'll give you up to a 1% discount on the sale of your house, 1% discount on the purchase of your house. And if you use our attorney, you could save um, hundreds of dollars on, on his services when he orders title, when you sell the home, or when he represents you on signing the document. So I just wanted to get that out there. You're going to be hearing my commercials on it. Um, it's pretty, it's, it, it's, it's huge. And, um, uh, we're, we're trying to just shed some light on the expense, and, and we're working with our partners to to shave some of the expenses on purchasing and selling a home here in Illinois. And it, it's not only here in Illinois, Joan. I've got a couple that we're working with right now selling their home in the western suburbs and moving to Florida. And we introduced them to a, a, a realtor in Florida who's under the program as well, who's going to offer them up to a 1% one percent discount on the out of their commission when they help them locate a home and buy a home. So it's not only here; we've got realtor um, relationships with realtors throughout the United States. But to do that, they still for the even though the realtors in Florida, they still go through you to get connected. Yeah, 
Correct. We because because we have the relationships with the realtor. They'll say, "Hey, this is one of the Team Hockberg Affinity Program buyers or sellers," and you know the agreement that we made with you and that you said you would do. We, we're not making any money from the realtor, right? That's against the law. Yeah, that breaks rest laws. The the credit is going directly to the buyer in the form of a closing cost credit from the sellers from the seller from the realtor's commission. All right. And then on the sales side, instead of listing your house for 7%, the realtor will list it for six. Or if they're listing it for 6%, they'll list it for five. So you mean that 6%, that 7%, that's their commission? That's their commission. So they will decrease their commission one full percentage point. So the seller has pockets that differential when they go to sell the home they have an extra it's a four hundred thousand dollar home it's a four hundred thousand dollar home it's up to a up to a four thousand dollar savings you know up on a six hundred thousand dollar home one percent is up to a six thousand dollar savings so the savings are substantial it costs our listeners nothing team hockberg is giving our full um our our closing costs which is approximately seventeen under uh, it's about no, I'm sorry, fourteen hundred ninety-five dollars is what we're throwing in. So you're saving fourteen hundred ninety-five dollars from Team Hockberg. We uh, we increased our rates at the end of the year, closing costs just due to inflation. So we're throwing in fourteen hundred ninety-five dollars. The realtors are 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 pitching in up to one percent of their um, of their uh, real estate commission, or decreasing their listing fee by one percent when it comes to selling a home. It, it's thousands of dollars. So, um, yeah, if, if uh, first homes, second homes, primary residence, vacation homes, whatever it is, I just wanted to get the information out there. My commercials will start not next week, but the following week, and you'll be hearing this nauseum. So I want to apologize to all the WCPT <laughs> listeners for well, all the commercials are going to be hearing on this, but it's a huge savings opportunity for them. We've got to do a, a quick promo for the devil's advocates, and then we're going to come back. I... You've made this clear, but you know all this financial stuff is very cute, confusing to me. So when we come back, yeah. I want to I wanna run what I think I heard by you because it's probably not all right. David Hochberg and I, we're going to be right back after a quick promo for The Devil's Advocate. The Devil's Advocates. I saw that uh, Kanye oh, God. went out and did a little appearance Tom, on uh, Alex Jones' show and in a strange turn of feet. Alex Jones, for perhaps the first time in the history of his existence, he was sort of the, the voice of reason. <laughs> you know what? We are in a special hell when Alex Jones becomes the voice of reason. The Devil's Advocates, weeknights at 7 on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. I am talking to David Hochberg. He is... Um, talking to us about a new program that those of us who want to buy a home can use through him. Whereby does this program have a name? Like, what do people do when people call you up? What do they ask for? Yeah, it's, it's just a Team Hockberg Affinity Program. I, uh, that's that's all. You know, we're not out there branding it anything special. It's it's usually done through companies. And since the, I, I thought it would it would take off like wildfire. And, you know, the HR departments at these at these companies have been dragging their feet. We got this. We got we got something else going on. And and we're into a bunch of huge opportunities. I mean, um, 
Walgreens, we're into Walgreens, we're into uh, Caterpillar. I mean, we are into some large corporations. I just wanted to expand it and get it out there in, 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 into the public so they could go back to their companies and their HR and say, hey, I just saved $3,000. Hey, I just saved $5,000. Hey, I just saved $6,000. This program ends in, in April. Why don't you give this guy a call? I, and all, all HR has to do is say, yeah, we want to do it. It doesn't cost any company it doesn't cost anything for a company to sign up, right? But instead of offering it to companies, I just decided instead of going the macro micro route, I'm going the macro route, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just blow it up and and just bomb the airwaves on it, and hopefully get a ton of business, and then stimulate the the uh, the uh, the interest of the listeners to take it back to their companies and say, hey, this is something our, our company should offer, and again. It doesn't cost a company a penny to offer this to their employees, and the employees save thousands of dollars if they use it. Again, listen, the uh, these large corporations that we're currently in, not everybody's calling us to save thousands of dollars when they're buying a home. Shame on them. It's their loss, right? But we're still offering it to the public. We're, we're, we're just exposing it to everybody out there in the Chicagoland listening audience. There's eight, nine million people that live in the Chicago metropolitan area. And if we could get 1%, we'll be very, very successful. And then if those, if one half of 1% takes it back to their companies and we get one half of 1% of that, we got a good little launch pad uh, for the rest of the year. So I'm just offering it to everybody. So it's called the, an affinity program. Yeah. The team affinity program. program. And it means that if you work with team Hockberg and work with, um, lawyers that are affiliated and maybe even a yeah. realtor that's affiliated. Basically, it's a sort of a, a team discount kind of program. Yeah. That's all. It, it, that's basically it, right? If you haven't noticed, the real estate market's kind of been on its tush lately, right? The volume's down. Realtors are, are very interested that we're working with, we have relationships with in this program because they want the volume. Right, because their volume's down, and they're willing to take less on on a transaction in order to get a transaction. Right, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sixty six percent of uh, of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. So there, it's a volume play here, right? And that's where that's what we're trying to do is just again blast the market, let everybody know we have qualified realtors that we have relationships with or else we wouldn't put our, our name behind it that we've done uh, a lot of business with on, on home buys and home sells, right? We uh, refer our, our borrowers out to realtors all the time. And these realtors are very interested in offering discounts of their fees back to the consumer. It's a win-win, right? The consumer wins. The consumer's working with a qualified realtor if they sell their home or if they buy their home, and they're doing it for less money than they would have if they didn't do it through our affiliated realtors, if you will, um, that are part of this program. And again, we're making nothing. All of the savings goes directly to the consumer, right? So the on the buy side, the realtor, let's just say it, it's standard 6% commission, right? So the selling realtor gets 6%, the buying realtor gets, I'm sorry, the selling realtor gets 3%, the buying realtor gets 3%. Instead of making 3%, the buying realtor is only going to make get a two percent fee, and one percent of their fee is going to go to the buyer in the form of a closing cost credit. It's right in the contract. It meets all RESPA violations. 
it's 100% legal. And we're giving you a credit of 1400 I believe, 25 or 95 I don't know what our closing cost. I know it's up 200 bucks from the end of last year. So we're giving you that. Team Hochberg is giving you a, a closing cost credit for all of our fees. So I don't know how anybody loses by not at least picking up the phone and giving us a call the next time they're looking to buy a home or sell a home. And you were talking about how real estate has slowed down in no small part because interest rates, uh, starting with the Fed, keep going up. I thought yeah. that since Jerome Powell was saying, oh, you know, we're, look, it's having an effect. Uh, inflation is is slowing down. But you know what? I think maybe we're going to have maybe at least one or two more hikes. Uh, were you surprised by that? And are you concerned about what that's going to do? No, I, I think I, I think Chairman Powell is is a very and, and the other um area um, presidents of the of the uh, Federal Reserve and and the different states in, in the different parts of the country that they control are very smart people. They know what's going on. And, and Fed Chair Powell, I, I sat and listened to his entire news conference and they tried to the reporters with their canned questions were trying to get him to blink. And he just didn't blink. Right. And he didn't mm-hmm. want to give any indication. He held his cards close to his his chest. And he didn't want to give the media or the market any indication of what his next move is. And what did he do? He was very, very, very protective, saying, yeah, uh, you know, anticipate future rate increases. Uh, this isn't over yet. And that's just his way of saying, leave me alone, right? Stay, stay in your lane and let us do, let the men and the women of the Federal Reserve do what we do best, which is regulate monetary policy. I think they kind of missed it and started regulating it a little late. We've already talked about that last year. You know, they probably should have started jacking up interest rates sooner. You know, they said that inflation was transitory. Well, they kind of missed that boat, but they kind of made up for it by the 75 uh, basis, the quarter, 50 basis points, 75 basis points three times, then the 50 basis points increased. It basically doubled the um, uh, short-term borrowing rates from what it was in January of last year to what it is now, right? So essentially mm-hmm. what Fed Chairman Powell is doing is giving himself an out to tighten down the monetary policy if consumers don't stop spending money that they don't have. I just talked to a guy today, okay? He's got mm-hmm. a 3.5% loan, right? He's got a 3.5% loan. He's got a SoFi loan for $25,000. It's costing him close to $600 a month. He's got $40,000 with credit card debt. And he wants to do renovations on his home. Guess what? He's going into a seven and a half percent thirty-year fixed loan out of his three and a half percent thirty-year fixed loan because he's going to be saving over fifteen hundred dollars a month. I taught you. I, I brought this to your attention. You know, during our last conversation of last year, listeners are going to start leaving their two and three percent loans to absolve their debt, roll their debt into their homes that still has value. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the monthly payment, which is really what anything is, it's all about the monthly payment. Forget about all your other nonsense with your rate and my rate so sexy. Screw your rate. It's your monthly payment. Your credit card debt is drowning you. Those short-term loans from Egghead and uh, and SoFi and all the and all, and all those other short-term plays that our listeners got on their credit reports for twenty-five and fifty thousand dollars. It's costing you between five hundred and a thousand dollars a month which is crazy, okay? But I understand listeners have to do what listeners have to do to put a fire out, a debt fire out, but you now have a payment fire 
that you now need to um, extinguish as fast as possible. And the one thing that our listeners still have right now is equity in their homes. All right. We still haven't lost. We, we saw a little bit of a slip in the value of our homes just due to the higher the, the higher interest rates. But the lack of inventory has kept values relatively stable. Right. They, they have slipped a little bit, but they haven't cratered like they did in 08. The challenge is and again, here's the carbon monoxide I've been talking about for the past year. All right. Come the spring, you've got a backup of foreclosures happening. All right. The notices have already gone out. And the only reason they haven't been. Uh, evicted from the homes is because we're in winter right now, right? It could be 40 below at the wind chill next week. Who knows, right? We could be under 12 to 8 inches of snow. We, we, and we're not going to evict people from homes in the dead of winter. It's just not the right thing to do, right? It's the, it's, it's the inhumane thing to do. But those foreclosure notices have gone out. And those, and those individuals that are, are listening right now, you know who you are. You, and, and, and that reprieve is, is done, okay? The, the end of the track has come. You're going to need to find a place to live. And the bottom line is, come spring, we're going to have a lot more inventory on the market. And then that's going to put a downward pressure on, on, um, on, on prices, assuming that the Fed doesn't drop interest rates. And then the 10-year doesn't go down. And we have 30-year fix back into the fours, which Fannie and Freddie are predicting that the 30-year fix will be in the fours this year. We're currently solidly in the mid-sixes, low sevens. Okay, so you got a lot of moving pieces here. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and all that I'm saying is for our listeners to be in a defensive mode. And what the Fed chairman's doing is trying to keep inflation in check. Okay, it's nice to have $2.95 a gallon gas. Not paying five five fifty like we were paying. Okay, food prices are still high. Hopefully, we we get this chip nonsense figured out. Hopefully, China gets over their COVID stuff now and they start manufacturing stuff, and we start loading boats and bringing product over here. And our factories start firing up here in the United States, so we can bring more product to the market and drop the price down. You know, with all the supply chain issues that we've experienced during the past twenty four to thirty months due to COVID. So all of these things are happening, and the Fed chairman basically said, leave me alone. Okay, leave us alone. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you, yeah, cuts are in the future. I might raise it a couple of I, – I, I might raise it, you know, ne- you know, next year when we meet. So I think that's just a, a long answer to everybody's just got to control their own finances and get through this. And on the other side of it, if you live in a home and you have – Hang on a second. Home, Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're past uh, time for the 4.30 break. Um, David Hochberg and I are going to continue this discussion about you know, what's going on uh, with mortgages in the real estate market and what you need to think about and do right after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. You know what time it is? Hello. Can you hear me? It's time to return to the best progressive talk show in Chicago. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Now on WCPT 820. 
I'm joined by David Hochberg. We've spent the first part of this discussion talking to you about a new affinity program that he is offering, whereby if you work with him and use affiliated realtors and um, lawyers, that you can save a percentage of those costs and save overall on the purchase of a new home, a program that's going to be in effect now, February, March, and ends, you said, in April, as of April 1st, David? The end of April. We're going to run it through end the of end April. of April. And then, yeah, hopefully it's such a huge success that the listeners will take it back to their um, HR departments or the owners of the companies that they work for, because, you know, you work for small, medium companies. Typically, they might not have, you know, they might not have a quote-unquote HR person, but you go to the owner and say, hey, I heard this guy on the radio it's it's legit. I saved three, four, eight, nine, ten, twelve thousand dollars on my uh, my home purchase on a home sale. Um, I think you should offer this to everybody, and you know, we'll go into the business and sign them up, and then all the other employees can um, can uh, reap benefits. I'm just using this as a it's kind of like a springboard to to blow it up this year. And we were also talking about the interest rates and the overall market. And I interrupted David, who was about to give advice to those people who are in the market for real estate, whether it's buying or selling right now. Go go ahead on that, David. Yeah. If you're in the market to sell your home right now, I think now is a great time to sell. There's still a shortage of inventory. Um, I think if you need to buy a home, because, listen, people will, uh, we're buying homes, the public, you know, we're buying homes in the late 70s, early 80s when the interest rates were in double digits, right? So what I'm, I'm, I'm advising those that are buying homes, and if you're freaking out about the rate, you, you, you can't control it, okay? It's just like I, I told listeners that we, we quoted 3% in December of 2020, 21, and then it went to 4% in February of last year, and then it went to 5%. Then it went to six percent and seven percent. You 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 can't fight the market, right? The market's the market. You can't fight the rate. What you can do is you could buy the home that you love, that you could afford, and you could basically rent the rate, okay? Because essentially, we, what did the news report just say prior? You know, at the bottom of the hour, Apple shares are at their lowest, you know, in, in a long time because of recent cutback in sales. Hello, Bing Bing, bells going off, fly. You know, flares going up. You know, there's your first sign that we're in the recession because people are stopped, are not spending money as rapidly as they used to. So the Fed chairman's rate increases are having a positive effect on the economy because you're seeing companies like Apple stocks at its lowest in a long time. And because sales are off, right? Those are perfect signs that it, it's bad that the sales are off. For, for Apple, if you work at Apple, okay, it's bad sales are off at Apple if you own Apple stocks, but it's great that sales are off uh, uh, at Apple because it's a sign that the interest rates, people are spending less on products like Apple products that they don't need to survive, okay? Now, a lot of us need our cell phones, but a lot of us don't need two or three iPads and two or three pairs of, of earbuds, and instead of going... To get the um, the Kindle, I know that might not be an Apple product. I think that's a Google product. But you know, you know your 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 uh, your iPad to read a book. You actually went out and spent fifteen bucks on a book instead of the iPad, a couple hundred dollars for the iPad. So these are all great signs that the economy is slowing, 
And that when the economy slows, what does the Fed chairman do? They stop raising interest rates. They take a pause, make sure that inflation continues to go down like it did last month. And as he sees continue to go down and as the Fed presidents continue to see, you know, inflation go down and the economy slowing. Right. Why would inflation go down? Because people are buying less product and the supply chain is fixed and there's more product on the shelves. Right. You know, we talked about this. It's it's more dollars chasing fewer goods. That's why we have inflation. Right. More dollars chasing fewer goods. Now you've got less dollars because of inflation chasing, you know, hopefully more goods. Then the prices come down. That's what we want. We want full stock shelves. And and if you hear, hang on one second. No, thank you. Sorry, I made a deposit here, Chase, and it's taking like 40 minutes to process. That's okay. Um, So, um, you know, so, so essentially what happens is this. When the economy slows down, and it is slowing down, the Fed chair with the Fed president's with the various Fed presidents' um, uh, suggestions and recommendations, we'll have to start decreasing interest rates in order to stimulate the economy. This is perfect Econ 101, okay? And when that happens, mortgage rates will come, you know, mortgage rates will come down, and and we'll start. Thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah, thank you. David, one of the things that that I want you to go into a little more, uh, you talked about, you know, um, the economy slowing, people having to pay more attention to the money they spend and hopefully spending a little less of it. In these days with this kind of an economy, how do you figure out, is there a formula to use to decide what you can afford when it comes to buying a house? Sure. Sure. It's very simple. The equation doesn't necessarily mean you should live by this. The banks don't want the borrowers to exceed 45% of their gross income on a total monthly basis for all of their expenses, including their housing. Okay. So keep it simple, stupid. I'm just going to break it down. 120 grand a year is $10,000 a month. I know 120 grand is a lot of money, and I know a lot of listeners aren't making that. But just for this example, use $10,000 a month, which is $120,000 as an annual income. Based upon the 45%, okay, just to keep it simple, stupid, the KISS method, your total expenditures of your household expenditures cannot exceed $4,500 on a gross income basis. Okay, what does that mean? You have to back out car loans from that $4,500, okay? You have to back out any type of other installment loans, student loans, right? We still have to count a student loan against you, even though you're not making it. You're sometime in the future, you might have to make that payment, okay? So student loans come into play. Um, Then you have to start figuring out any type of credit card debt that you might have. If you have $10,000 worth of credit card debt, Typically, you have to make a minimum payment between 2 and 4%. So let's just keep it very simple. You have a $10,000 worth of credit card debt. That's $400 against you when off of that $4,500, right? You have $20,000 mm-hmm. worth of credit card debt. We have to take $800 away from that $4,500. That's why I always stress to, to all of our listeners to pay off your credit card debt because you'll be able to afford more of a home. Number one, your credit scores will be higher. You'll get a lower rate, again, which will enable you to qualify for a larger mortgage. 
Then you have to figure out, after you take out all your monthly obligations, car loans, car leases, student loans, credit card bills, um, if you have a SoFi loan or, or any type of those type of loans, those type of monthly obligations, then what's left out of that 4500 bucks after you take care of all your debt is what you have left to handle your housing expenses. So then you have to add your real estate taxes, which are ridiculously obnoxiously disgustingly high in the great state of Illinois. <laughs> okay, and we've talked about that in nauseam. Thank you, Tony Perkwinkle, and your band of, of thieves. And then you've got to add your real estate um, homeowner's insurance, which is going to be between 100 and $150 a month. Again, credit scores determine what your homeowner's insurance is going to be. So the higher your credit scores, the lower your homeowner's insurance premium, the more you're going to be able to afford to borrow. And then nowadays, right, every $100,000 that you borrow is costing you about $550 a month. So a $200,000 loan is going to cost you around $1,100, $500 for taxes, and $150 for, uh, for um, homeowner's insurance. You know, that's $1,700, $1,800 a month. So that's where it all comes into the mix. So the number that your listeners need to keep in the back of their mind is take your gross income, gross income, and again, gross income bef- that before taxes, before any before withholding, taxes, before any withholding. Now, all because you qualified 45 percent doesn't mean you should do that because you're not taking home your gross income. You're you're probably right <laughs> to pay for taxes. So I'm just giving you what the lenders like myself, what our industry uses to qualify borrowers or prospective borrowers to buy a home. You take your gross income, multiply it by 45%. Then you start backing out all your car, all your monthly obligations, car loans, car leases, student loans, all of that stuff. If you've got any other short-term loan, if you put, if you bought furniture on time, if you've got uh, carpeting on, on, on a payment plan, whatever you put, if you've got dental, dental bills, a lot of, a lot of our listeners have got dental challenges. They've got dental loans, eyeglass loans, all of these things will show up on your credit report. You've got to take everything, that minimum monthly payment, subtract it from that 45%, and that's the amount, the max amount that you would qualify for. Your principal, interest, taxes, insurance, maybe PMI, and maybe an association dues if you're buying in a condo. So these are the things that our listeners need to be aware of. 45%, I'm going to... I just set up a studio in my office. I converted our conference room into a podcast video cast studio. Every like three weeks, Joan, I'm going to be doing an online seminar, okay, a credit enhancement seminar and a home buying seminar to dive deeper into this because this is so misunderstood and so confusing because there's no one place for any of our listeners to go to make sense of this. I'm going to do this. Um, I've got to get the backdrop up. Hopefully it'll be up by Friday. Uh, three time, One time a month, at least one time a month, I'm going to be doing an online training session for free for all the listeners and all the, anybody that wants to come. It'll be, four, it'll be a half hour, and then we'll do a half hour of questions, and I'm going to educate the entire area on what it takes to enhance their credit and what it takes to buy a home. Because because there's the education is not there, unfortunately. And I'm going to bring the education to everybody this year. 
David, we need to take a break. When we come back, we have a listener who has a question for you. Uh, David Hochberg sure. is my guest. We will be back right after this. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm talking to David Hochberg, and uh, one of our listeners has called in with a question for him. Paul is calling from the north side. Hey, Paul, thanks for calling today. You're on with me and David, so go ahead with your question. Okay, Joan. Uh, I like your show, by the way. Uh, I just want to put that in there. Uh, well, thank you. I have a question. Okay. Uh, I have a question for David. I have talked to one of his guys, too, Bob. I think it was DiLorenzo. The guy was great, but... I, w- I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. I get uh, he he mentioned taxes and how incredibly high they are, and they're soaring right now too. Um, I get all these ads in the mail for um, repealing the taxes and, and getting a lower rate. They take a, a, a certain amount, some kind of skim amount off of what what you save and all this stuff. I, I'm my better instinct tells me it's some kind of a scam, but I want to hear it explained. Is, is it any good or? Well, yeah, okay. Well, Bob, Bob is great. He decided to go uh, uh, due to market conditions, go work at a bank up in Wisconsin. So he's no longer with us. So if you want to reach out to me, I'll, I'll be more than happy to help you on any future transactions. But to answer your questions, real estate tax appeals. And the reason we're so screwed up in Illinois, in Cook County, is because of our taxes are so messed up, okay? There are attorneys out there that will help you. You could do it yourself, okay? You could contact your, your village or your township or your, or your city administrator, and they typically have classes for their residents within their communities on how to appeal your property taxes, okay? Now, you could also fix your car, and I drop my car off at, at the auto dealership that I bought the car from because I'm not a car guy, okay? So the attorneys are out there for guys like me that don't like to do their own work or don't have the patience or the capabilities or, the, or, or just the mental fortitude to sit there and deal with all the paperwork. What they will do, um, uh, Paul, Paul, is it Paul? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Paul, is that your name? Okay. You, yes. What these attorneys do, Paul, they're all legal. I work with a guy. I'll be more than happy to refer you to him. I don't make any. He's a buddy of mine. He does my, he does my tax appeals. Um, that they they typically charge you a filing fee, fifty to one hundred dollars, whatever it is, and they don't make any money unless they get your taxes reduced. Okay, and if they get your taxes reduced, the typical fee that they charge, and again, each attorney's got a different fee schedule, but my guy. Uh, charged me in the past. Uh, he, 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 I think it was one half or one third of the savings during the first year of, 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 of the savings that he got me. Okay. Now Cook County, like all the other counties does a triannual renewal. Okay. Where they, I'm sorry, a triannual uh, assessment reassessment. So if you just got your tax bill, okay. If you just got your tax bill at the end of the year, right, because these knuckleheads were fighting and didn't get the tax bills out on time and pointing the fingers at each other. Uh, yeah. did, did you just get it and your taxes went up? I got, I got it and paid it uh, this time around. It was the first installment, but 
uh, last time around, I got the second installment, and I almost, I almost had a, a grabber. Well, brace for impact, because you're going to get the second installment in about uh, uh, about 30 to 45 days. Thank you, Tony Preckwinkle and yeah. staff down at, at Cook County you know, for doing a tremendous job with their taxes last year. But uh, but here, if you want... Yeah, while prime real money, estate downtown pays nothing, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you could get Fritz Kagey on if he gets under his desk and want to have the conversation to explain it. You know, he went in the witness protection program when all this was going down at the end of last year. Got a set of balls on him, this guy. So, and he's running on a post. So here, um, yeah. that's just my commentary. But if you want me to hook you up, I work with a guy, Billy Cadigan. He, uh, good friend of mine, uh, real estate attorney. He's up out of, um, he lives up uh, up north, and uh, he, he does a great job with my taxes when he appeals mine. I'll be more than happy to connect you with Billy, and um, and he could, you know, talk to you about his, his fees and his services. Okay, so you're saying it's fifty. I'm in Cook County, so it's it'd be fifty yeah. to a hundred to, yeah, to it, register. Yeah, it, if I don't yeah. save any money, though, that I'm out that right. Yeah, you're out that fee for for having them put together an appeal for you, looking at other like properties similar to yours um, on on the tax on the on the tax on the tax records to try to get your taxes law. Yeah. So it's not a scam. Well, if you work with a scumbag attorney, it's a scam. But if you work with a reputable attorney that that others have worked with, then you should be in a good a good spot. Yeah. Oh, well, could what? So let's say I've got a property worth three hundred and fifty. Okay. Well, let's say I paid uh, four grand on uh, second install. I paid. Let's say I paid six grand uh, annual. Uh, and, and, your, and your property's worth how much? Uh, let's say about three fifty, three seventy-five in that that range. Yeah. Rule of thumb now in Cook County is about two percent. Okay, so so you're well. And again, each 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 well, different property's got different taxing bodies for different things. So just rule of thumb, yeah. macro is, is you know it, when I got in the business. 21 years ago, it was 1% in Cook County. Now it's 2%. Okay? You know, that's just rule of thumb until yeah. you the tax record. So It's very odd the way it varies in Cook County just from, like, neighborhood to neighborhood, too. I know people, and I'm in a very nice part on the north, north side, and I pay lower than some people that live in, in you know, not-so-great areas on the south yeah. side and whatnot. I don't understand that. But, so what if I... Real quick, if I paid six, what what could they? Do you have any rough estimate of what you think they might no be able to bring down to or based? I have no idea. I mean, that's what they do. And I stay in my lane, and they stay in their lane. That's why you'd have yeah. to uh, talk with Billy and his staff, and or or the attorney that you got a letter from, and his or her staff, and see if it's something that you want to invest fifty to a hundred bucks to try to lower your taxes at least. Yeah, you know, three hundred dollars, or you know, because they're going to take a third or a half of the first year savings, whatever their fees. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've been enjoying the Paul and David show. I'm Joan Esposito, the nominal host of this program. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, thank you for those questions. I couldn't have come up with better ones myself. Um, and Mr. Hochberg, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, how shall we wrap this up? One last message for the listener. Yeah, it, it's going to be um, monthly payment, not about the rate. That's going to be the slogan this year. 
It's not mm-hmm. about the rate. It, it, it's the monthly payment. It's what it's costing you on a monthly basis for you to survive and for you and your family to survive. And when the rates come down, and they will come down, there's already signs that we're in a recession or going in a recession, and the economy is slowing down. When it slows down, the Fed will lower rates. And then the 10-year bonds will come down, and the mortgage rates will come down. And when those come down, and you have an opportunity to refinance out of your 2 and 3% loan that you went into during COVID because the rates are so ridiculously at historic low levels, and you have the opportunity to roll the twenty to fifty to sixty to some eighty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt and other debt that you have into your mortgage and go into a rate in the fours or the fives and the sixes, and your overall monthly payment is gonna decrease five hundred to a thousand to two thousand dollars, you have to forego and kick that sexy rate out of your house and go with the higher rate, because the higher rate with the lower monthly payment is gonna put you and your family into a much better financial situation to succeed going into the future. So it's not about the rate, it's a monthly payment. If you're looking to buy or sell a home and you want to have the opportunity to save thousands of dollars on the transaction and work with reputable and, um, and skilled real estate professionals, real estate realtors, mortgage professionals, and real estate attorneys, then give us a call, give us the opportunity to explain the program and uh, help you save thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home. It's really that simple. And my number is 855-563-2843, which is 855-56-DAVID, or you can go to our website, 56david.com. Thank you so much, Mr. Hochberg. It is always a delight to talk to you, and this is a really important thing for listeners, many of whom um, could be uh, finding themselves in need of uh, some discounts as they move forward in the in the process. Thanks again, David. Appreciate it. Thanks again. No, thanks again to you. And one quick thing. How awesome is it that Patty Vasquez gets another hour? It's about <laughs> damn time. That's awesome. I love Patty Vasquez. I think she's she's tremendously awesome. A good friend of mine and I'm I'm stoked that she got an extra hour and I'm I don't know what took CPT to give her the extra hour, but <laughs> congratulations to Patty Vasquez. She's going to kill it, that extra hour. She, abso- she absolutely is. One hour was never enough of Patty Vasquez. Enough. Thank you. I agree with you right, 100% on that. Um, Thank you for that's the opportunity. D- Welcome. Uh, That's going to do it for me today. The lovely two-hour Patty Vasquez show starts right after this. By the way, the House voted to adjourn. They'd had enough uh, votes. They took three votes for speaker, couldn't get one. So they're going to come back at noon tomorrow. I assume that's noon Eastern time. So get your your drinks ready by 11 a.m. That's going to do it for me. I will see you tomorrow. Have a great evening. Stay safe. Good night.